me stupid It makes me feel like you don't think I'm smart But just because you say you're not into it Why do you have to tear it all apart? Just because it's stupid don't mean it's not art Hello and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White. Thank you for listening to the show on this fine, fine last day of August. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, before we get started, I do want to apologize that we did not have a show last week. Uh, the reason is because we were all kind of ill. Uh, the week before, we, we had villain hosts, uh, you, you, you I'm sure noticed, uh, because we were in England at Rory St. John's mother's wedding to Thomas Alva Edison. And that was a splendid occasion. I, I had a great time there, but uh, it did rain the entire time we were in England. So it was a little unfortunate. And um, basically, we got wicked colds, all four of us. Um, so we weren't able to do the show. We all sounded like uh, uh, terrible, terrible. And I, I still have a bit of a cough. But anyway, the point is, that's why there wasn't a show last week. And I know you're probably thinking, well, why didn't you get fill in host again? Because I didn't want to do it. It was last minute. You know, it was like, maybe we'll do a show. No, we didn't. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to just drop in on those people. <laughs> I feel I feel guilty about it. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, Patsy has things to do, you know, things like that. Anyway, the point is, let's get right to this show. Uh, let me introduce everybody who's here. I just mentioned Roy Sinjin. So let me bring him out. Rory, your mother's wedding was gorgeous. Thank you very much. No, it was. It really was. It was a beautiful occasion. It, it really was. It really was remarkable, and I, I do thank Thomas for that. Yes, it was very. So I mean, uh, what, what are they doing for their honeymoon? Are they going away? Well, uh, n- no. Their honeymoon is still happening, I believe, right now. Uh, but they didn't go anywhere. In fact, they 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 got a hotel room, and they I don't think they've left it. From what I understand, they sent me a postcard from it. But I didn't want to, to read it. No, it's not really appropriate for. A family podcast. Is this a family podcast? Well, perhaps. I, look, I, I'm not going to read it, so... Okay, that's fine. Did you want to introduce yourself? Oh, yes, no, I, I should say a little bit about myself. I am an extra historian. I'm a scholar. I am uh, working on a big project. It's a bit of a secret, though, so I don't want to say too much. But uh, let me just say, I, I am trying to correct a wrong that was done. Like like Quantum Leap? No, I'm not leaping from life to life, no. Okay. I mean, a wrong was done to me, and I'm, I'm going to undo it myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and make sure that it turns out the way I want it to. Huh. I don't know what you're referring to. Well, that, that was, I was trying to be vague, so good. You know. All right. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, Mr. Frank Allen is here. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed my live coverage of the wedding two weeks ago. It was, uh, I set that up myself. Well, I helped set that up. Right. I mean, but I, you know... I did it. Well, you did the talking. You didn't do the tech stuff. Well, no, you're, no, I had to get help with the tech stuff. But you, I, I said all the words that needed to be said. And a few that didn't, I would say. Look, she's not, a, she's clearly not a virgin. I don't know why you're still going on about this. It's just rude to say, that's all. It's just a rude thing to point out. You're her son. So clearly, I don't, it's, it's, I don't think that there's a problem. Yes, but to say it out loud for the entire, you know, listening audience is just inappropriate. It's inappropriate. You're on the podcast. Everyone listening to the podcast knows that she's done it. Not to mention, we've had letters about the coitus that they've had throughout the years while she was still married to your father, in fact. There's really no reason. I think this is entirely inappropriate. Well, that's but it's not inappropriate on my behalf. It's inappropriate of her to have cheated on your father. Excuse me, sir. Frank, Frank, I think you're getting a little personal and judgmental. Well, I didn't cheat on his father, so I, I can cast the first stone. I don't think that's how it works. And not to mention, I, we're not Christians here. Regardless, look, I'm just calling it the way that it is. Not even just the way I see it, it's the way that it is. Objective of sight. And you wondered why we had a segment called Toll Watch. It's, it, what a mystery it is. I'm not the one who... Okay, forget it. You know what? Let's just move on. My name's Frank Allen. I'm a host. 
Done. Right. Done. Yes. Okay. And our final co-host is my cat, Scape White. He too, I believe, still has a bit of a cold. Is that not correct, Scapey? Yes, it is, it is correct. My voice is a little rough, which is why it's a good thing I don't do another song today. <laughs> I mean, like, original song. I can still sing a little bit of song stuff that I have to sing, right? But... I'm glad I don't have to do a rock song yet. Yes, because uh, Escapes in Rock School, he did a, a song the week before we left, so that's three weeks ago now, called Roll It Out, Do Yes, and it was, it was quite good, I think, so. Yeah, speaking of songs, um, let's get right into it. Let's get right to our first segment, which is uh, Rory's segment, uh, Rory's new p- segment. Anyway, the point is, it's called Extra History Now. Scapey, shall we sing a little song about it? Oh, yes, please. Extra history, extra history, when is it happening Extra history, extra history, when is extra history happening? Guess what? Now! Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for that. And I am very proud to say that I I was distraught, I will mention, that we did get a letter that was used in Extra History Now two weeks ago when I was gone. But I do not need to weep because... This week, we did get a letter for, explicitly for, Extra History Now. Oh, wow, that's awesome. No, yes, it is. It really is. Quite excellent. I didn't think we'd ever get one. No, no, we, we got one, and we hopefully we'll get one next week. If you'd like extra historical reading, castandwax at gmail.com. But let me read this letter. Dear Rory, I'm hoping you can help me with a dilemma that I'm having. For quite a while now, I have been under personal attack by someone whom I once considered a very friendly acquaintance and respectable colleague. In a feeble attempt to further his career as an investigative journalist or show host of some kind, he has taken the story of a tragic death that occurred while I was attending college in Binghamton and turned it into a mockery by accusing me of murdering the poor boy. I have been harassed, followed, bombarded by reporters and police from both my local area and from Binghamton. Well, that's funny, is they're from Binghamton, so that's where we're all from. I mean, not necessarily originally, but we all met in Binghamton. Well, yes, I, I don't think that's actually a coincidence. No? No. Yeah, I don't, but uh, there's more to the letter. My dilemma, Rory, is this. I've accumulated some information about my former friend and colleague, that could ruin him. I mean, really, really hurt him. As friends, the thought would never have entered my mind to expose his secrets, and even in the face of daily tormenting, I have been able to be the bigger man so to speak. But as a result of this person's selfish, mindless zeal, I was recently arrested and held for questioning at my local precinct. I had to pay a lawyer that I really couldn't afford and suffer the same obnoxious questions over and over, and I'm absolutely at my wit's end with the situation. I am extremely tempted to at least blackmail my former friend and colleague, and at most, simply expose the information and bring him down so that I hope I will be able to return to my normal, productive, peaceful anonymity. But of course, I do realize how unethical and selfish that would be on my part. Any guidance you can provide would be appreciated. Congratulations again on your mother's marriage and a lovely wedding. I was very happy to be able to share that happy day with you, your family, and our friends. Gratefully, Lynn Nelson. Well, okay, hang on. Well, I'm going to do an extra historical reading now. No, hang on. That's Lynn Nelson. She's talk she's talking about me there. The show host, that she, she's saying that's me, but that's not true. That's a misrepresentation. Now, Frank, hold on. It doesn't say Yes, you. but I know, I can, t- I remember the situation. It's, you know, it's an ongoing situation, and she did kill this boy, no, as look, far as I'm aware. Frank, the purpose of this is an extra historical reading, not to solve a mystery. So she's saying she's been falsely accused, and that's what we're going with for the extra history. I'm sure it's true. No, it's, it's not true. Well... That's not the, again, that's not what we're doing here. So, Lynn, again, thank you for coming to the wedding. It was nice to see you there, etc., etc. Um, let's move on with the reading, shall we? This is pointless. She did it. And not to mention what, I don't know what, she's, what information she could have about me because I have, I'm not a 
bad person. I don't have secrets that I'm hiding. Look, Frank, this is not about you. We're not giving you a reading. We're giving her a reading. Okay, so, so Lynn, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for your, your troubles. First of all, let me tell you about another universe. There is another universe where you did, in fact, kill this boy. And in that universe... That sounds like our universe. No, Frank, and in that universe, this gentleman, this show host, is the only one who knows the truth. I, again, Frank... This gentleman is the only one who knows the truth, that you actually did commit a murder. But no one seems to believe him. He is driven, like a man possessed, to expose the truth. And yet, at every turn, he is thwarted by you and your nefarious plots. Every time he clues the police in to the truth that you did, in fact, kill this boy, they bring you in for questioning. But through some sort of subtle manipulation of facts and words, possibly bribes, possibly sexual favors, it's hard to say, the police always end up releasing you. Eventually, in fact, even the show host comes to believe that you are, in fact, innocent and that he is mistaken, that he must have been wrong in his calculations in some way. And at that point, you are completely in the clear. However, do not rest yet. For in fact, this is where a certain Edgar Allan Poe story, perhaps Scape is familiar with it. Um, I know stories. Scary stories. Yes, a particular one called The Imp of the Perverse. No, I don't know that. All right, that's fine. The Imp of the Perverse takes a hold of you, and you realize that the only way you could be caught is if you confess in full. And once the inkling of confession enters into your mind, it gnaws at you. It digs at your psyche. You sometimes will find yourself casually walking by a police officer on the street, and you think bemusedly to yourself, I've gotten away with murder. This poor cop does not know a thing, and he wouldn't know unless I said, hey, I got away with murder. <laughs> How do you like that? As I passed him. But I would never do that. I mean, that's ridiculous, of course. But the thought occurs to you nonetheless. You get pulled over for a speeding ticket. The policeman asks, Do you know why I've pulled you over? And you think to yourself, Probably because I was speeding. But my real crime was murder. This urge builds in you more and more, and you know it's insane. You try to laugh it away. I would never actually do it, you say to yourself. I would never. It's preposterous. Until the day the urge overcomes you, and you do confess. You were having a party at your home, and it was getting a little loud. The neighbors called the cops to come over and quiet you down. They knocked on your door, and upon opening it, rather than saying, I'm sorry, I'll make sure to be quiet from now on, as you thought you probably should say, you say to them, what seems to be the problem, officer? Have you finally uncovered the murder I committed in cold blood in Binghamton, New York, years ago? The cop is dumbstruck. But of course you are arrested. Truth comes out. All the evidence that you've kept in your home is exposed, and you finally are brought to justice, cackling the entire time, saying, the only way you caught me was because... Because I confessed, and I only confessed because I'm mad. I'm mad, I tell you. <laughs> but in your voice, not mine. And inspired by the true hideousness of your crimes, New York rushes through extreme new laws that justify capital punishment for single murders. The mayor signs it into law just before you're convicted, just to make sure that you die a horrible, painful death at the hand of the state. On that terrible day when they finally are walking you to the gas chamber. The immensity of your crime finally hits you. You begin to weep, saddened by the loss that you've caused in other people's lives. Not to mention the hardship you put the poor show host through when he was completely right but was laughed out of the entire business for being wrong all the time. We didn't mention that. Well, it's just fine. And at that final moment, as you're sitting in the gas chamber, waiting for the deadly poison to come, you whisper, I'm sorry. But God is deaf to your pleas and sends you to hell for all eternity. So you can see that this world is actually not nearly as bad. They suspect you for a crime you didn't commit. They won't have any evidence, of course, if it's not true. And, you know, you'll go free. It won't be a problem. Well, hang on. Wait, okay. Uh, what I, but she did do it. 
And I don't want to get laughed out of the business. It's another reality, Frank. It's another reality entirely. Plus, you didn't tell her about what about the blackmail thing? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, regarding the whole blackmail thing, you know, this isn't actually an advice column. It's it's a it's an extra historical reading telling you about your problems, examining them from other angles. So I don't actually give advice. You know, I don't feel it's right. Even though, of course, I know the best course of action. I I can't you know I can't be responsible for that sort of thing. Don't blackmail the show host. Obviously, you know, I'm, again, I can't I can't get behind that 100. percent You know, perhaps blackmailing him is the right thing to do. Perhaps letting his secret out. I mean, you know, if he did some sort of terrible thing, maybe you should tell everyone about it. The point is, I can't say one way or the other. It's not my place to give advice. I can give advice. No, she didn't want your advice. But I, I can do it anyway. Look, just don't, just whatever, I, whatever you think you have, you don't have because I didn't do anything. This doesn't sound like impersonal, unbiased advice. It's not. Just look, whatever you think you have, you're wrong and throw it away because it's not right. And I know you did it. So I don't think you're going to be very persuasive saying throw away the evidence and you, you are a crime committer. A crime committer? You know, the criminal, you know, murderer. Let's just say. No, she, um, she said she's not. And that was another world. If you say so. Well, I say so. Okay, guys. Um, that's, the, I think that's the end of Extra History Now, right? Yes. Castandwaxgmail.com if you'd like to have an extra historical reading next week. I'm sure they want to, given what you just said. Extra History Now is done. Um, that was a fun one. Interesting. I don't think Lynn's a murderer, but you never know. You know as, as I said, that's not what it's about, really. So I wasn't purporting to say whether she did it or not. She said she didn't do it. I took her at her word. Right, and I mean, me too, because she's my friend. So, well, oh, you guys can be naive if you want. But whatever, listen, I don't, look, forget whether she's a murderer or not. I don't know exactly what you have on me. But maybe, look, maybe there's something... We can arrange. I, look, I just, I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what this could be. Well, have you done anything that you should be ashamed of? I don't, I, not that I know of, I'm, but now I'm getting nervous. What if I did? Well, look, I mean, you, I, I'm sure you're, you're an upstanding guy. You know, you do the right thing in most situations, right? I, I you know, I try, but, uh, I mean, what if she does? What if there's something I did that, you know, is bad? Well, it can't be as bad as murder, right? Well, I mean, that's true. And if you're saying she did murder, well, but she's—I mean, what if I'm wrong? You know, I don't know. Now I'm now I'm really doubting myself. Are you really doubting yourself, or are you doubting yourself because you think she might have something? I I I don't know what she could have, but I mean, you know, I don't know. <sighs> Frank, you know, have some journalistic integrity at least. You don't have a lot of the other kind, so no. All right, let's let's get right to the shows. This is an episode of Guard Duty coming up next. Last episode was the end of the uh, fourth season of Guard Duty. Uh, we found out that the all-seeing Argus was actually the villainess Suspiria in disguise, faking her way onto the Earth Guard so that she could destroy them from within. So, what's going to happen with that, right? I mean, that's the question on everybody's mind. Well, we begin the fifth season finding out a little bit more. Let's see. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. 
that end, the guard takes shifts, monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of guard duty. This week, Broadband and Mr. Fahrenheit in Stranded in the Clouds. Where the astounding heroes, the Earth Guard... Hmm, no. Don't stop now. It's a masterpiece of subtlety. It cannot be better crafted. The stupendous Earth Guard... I stand corrected. ...took down the wicked Sisops in the midst of their devious plans. To drink coffee. Devious. To enslave mankind. Okay, now the fun part. As the official Earth Guard press secretary, it is my solemn duty to inform you... That our team has been compromised. That while in Earth Guard custody, awaiting transfer, the villain Dragondrop... Hmm. Was murdered by a psychopathic villain who infiltrated the Earth Guard, masquerading as a hero. Kicked it. Snuffed it. Ooh, bought the farm. Became deceased. Became... Became... Dead? Killed. Killed! Became killed. By Suspiria. Hear well, we me? Suspiria. Was the possibly Argus is Suspiria. Are you even society. listening? The Earth Guard Please would just like hear to me this once, you giant douchebag. The Argus Apologies is Suspiria. For breaching She's infiltrated the Earth Guard. No murder of bad guys policy. Thank you. Mr. Fahrenheit out. Bam! Got that bitch done. One draft. Brain frame. Spell check. I am in need of repairs, duh. God damn it! Mr. Fahrenheit to Broadpand. What the hell, man? I'm sorry. I'm just running a little late. I'm almost there, I swear. Chop, chop, man. Got a press conference to hold. You know I've been alone on guard duty for like half an hour, right? Not exactly alone. I know, and I said I'm sorry. I'm dealing with some personal business, but Personal I'm- business? You don't see me up here calling people, trying to get my album released on another label, do you? No. I do that in my spare blah, time. Blah, it's blah, blah. It's called being professional. Oh, like professional. you know anything about professionalism. Maybe you should Google it. Do you invent Google the internet yourself. anyway? No way. I'm Look, sure you do, I'm heading for the teleporter now. All right, I'll be up in ten seconds. You'd better be. Mr. Fahrenheit, out. God, what a jerk. All right, that's it. Ow, what the hell? That's a brand new shelf. <sighs> if only we kept heavier books around. See, I'm here. I told you I was on my way, and here I am. Now, what's the emergency? Spell check isn't working on the brain frame. He's an idiot, Bob. He was an idiot when I died. He's still an idiot. That is a news. Uh, I'm sorry. What? The brain frame? You know, the giant computer thing with the big villain database and all the crime-fighting stuff in it that you built? Which you want to use for a spell check? You know, I could bring you a dictionary. Ooh, I know just the shelf to keep it on. I don't need a dictionary. My mind is a dictionary. That's not the point. The point is that the brain frame is supposed to assist us in our duties at the planet's most powerful hero. And I can't even proofread a text file properly. Some of us have other jobs outside of the Earth Guard, you know. I'm the CEO of a Fortune 500 corporation. Sometimes that takes up my time. Oh, boo-hoo. Everybody is busy. Fact is, you've got exactly one job on the Earth Guard, and that's to maintain and fund the Guard Tower and all our equipment and technology. 
As press secretary, I not only have to call and give press conferences, I have to write my own speeches, which I do magnificently, do all that, you know, spin-doctoring stuff, and take questions from the press. Do you see me sleeping on the job? Dragon Drop dies last night. Last night! And already, here I am, speech in hand, with the press corps gathering at our D.C. office. Do you want to go down there and face them? Do you want to tell them why the Earth Guard let a prisoner in our care die? Because if you just say the word, we could trade places. Bear the brunt of the public eye on your back, like the weight of the world. And I'll sit at home and play with my remote control toys. How's that sound? Oh, please. And you'll start paying for the guard, will you? We're a little more expensive than a pack of brewskis, right, Bob? Broadband. Bob? Broadband, I'm talking to you. Are you there? Did I... Did I give you a heart attack? Not a chance. You can take more than that. Believe me. Uh... Hi. Sorry about that. I had to run for the bathroom for a second. Uh, did I miss anything? What? All right, that is it. I'm tired of not getting any respect around here, goddammit. I'm the official press secretary of the Earth Guard, goddammit. I don't like being treated like some boneheaded nitwit. Well, then you should stop. And don't even say a word to that, thank you very much, goddammit. I just needed No! To. You walked out on me in the middle of me talking as if what I had to say didn't matter. Well, you know what? What I have to say does matter. And so maybe I'll just leave you alone with your broken computer there and talk to someone who cares. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the American public. Elijah, No! I... You blew it, Bob. You've crossed me for the last time. You have anything to say to me? You can go through my agent. I thought your agent dumped you when you... I guess you'll have to wait until I get a new one, won't you? You don't think Stallion isn't going to hear about this. I've got a press conference to give. Well, that was... Awkward. <laughs> they always fall for the old bathroom gag. <laughs> oh, you bastard, Bob. I've missed you. Just you and me again, eh, unit? Maybe we should work on the old brain frame. Oop, spoke too soon. I should take this. Hello? Oh, God, Bob. If someone doesn't hear yeah, me soon, I'm going to go crazy. I'll just have just to... Just make it. <sighs> Maybe we'll work it out. <sighs> okay. Have them call Let me, me just think about right? this. Great. There has to be something I can there do. There we go. Obviously, no one can see or hear me since I had Captain Fantasy shroud me in dreams when I went back in time. Well, no, not exactly true. Captain Fantasy can see and hear me, but he's chained to Suspiria's bed oh. being tortured. Oh. Oh. Who put... Who put gum in here? I wrote something on a piece of paper, but Voodoo Lady saw a blank. I tried spelling it out and spilled pretzels. No one noticed. Dr. Fast cleaned it up. I could try... An email? But they'll probably just delete it as spam. Come on, there has to be something. Villains have beaten Captain Fantasy before. There has to be something that can break one of his dream spells. Brain Frame, give me a list of everyone who's defeated Captain Fantasy. I am in need of repairs. Well, now, why did you say that, girl? He heard that? He heard that! He heard the Brain Frame talking to me. Brain Frame, bring up keypad interface and activate vocal control. Activating. Activating what? You really are in need of repairs. I am in need of repairs. I know. I'm working on it, girl. I'm working on it. Here goes nothing. Broadband. Oh, fuck. Hello? Oh, thank God. It's working. VR, this is Riolisha Spiria. What? 
How is that possible? She created him as a means to infiltrate the guard. She killed Dragon Drop and Lady Luna and orchestrated the death of Gaz Mask and now she has Captain Fantasy prisoner and is That's outrageous! I won't stand for it! That's my Bob! We can stop him, if we tell the Earth Guard about- Who am I speaking to? This is full. I am not dead. I have Captain Fantasy enshroud me in dreams so I could not interfere with the past, but now I've been attacked. Well, I don't care what the board of directors says. The other Boleski child is getting a full scholarship as well. What? Uh, so make it not look like it's fixed. Set up another dummy corporation and offer a new scholarship for that if you have to. But this child is getting a free ride at the school of his choice if you have to slip it to him in 20s under a truck stop table. No. No, 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 no. You heard me. You heard me, Bob. That's completely unacceptable. No. God damn it! Then you go right back and try again if you want to keep working for me. Call me back when you've got something worth me hearing. Oh, Bob. I, I need you. I really need you. Sorry, girl. I had to take that. Now, let's see what... Hang on. How did that monitor get cracked? That wasn't there before. Huh. Must have been... Oh, no one's around. Odd. I'm usually so observant. Jordan D. White, with Michael D. Mikulski as the narrator, Elijah Weberhans as Mr. Fahrenheit, Derek McNish as Broadband, Tong Wang Wong as Polo, with theme song by Michael D. Mikulski. All right, welcome back from that. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, to return full, turns out she's not as dead as she might have seemed at the end of season one. But now let's move right along. We do have to get to um, the next section, which is again another Rory Sinjin section of the show. Rory, I, now it was uh, we're a week late, so you probably did another two in a row. Uh, no, no, actually, no, I didn't. I I did two separate. Where are they now in histories? Covering the two separate days completely separately. Oh, okay, that's you know seems like a lot of work, but okay, because I thought it was kind of interesting the way you would just do the one to cover both of them. Yes, no, that was interesting, and I, I, you know, I may do it again. You never knew, but this time I did two separate ones, one for each of the two days. So there you are. All right, well, then we can play one now and one later. Yes, that would be perfect. Absolutely. All right, well, here's the one from last week, then. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On August 24th, AD 79, after centuries of dormancy, Mount Vesuvius erupts in southern Italy, devastating the prosperous Roman cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum and killing thousands. The city, buried under a thick layer of volcanic material and mud, were never rebuilt and largely forgotten in the course of history. Hmm. Say, Titus. Yes, Valius? I can't help but notice that that big mountain 
that we live on has been doing a lot of smoking lately. Is that bad for its lungs? I'm not really sure. Maybe we should go see some sort of volcanologist or something, get it checked out. No, if something were really wrong, I'm sure we'd know it. I mean, yeah. oh my God. You know, people these days, they think that the slightest thing goes wrong, you have to see a volcanologist. Yeah, it would be so embarrassing if it were just nothing. And they charge so much. All the time. Let's just leave it alone. It'll go away. Looks like rain. But really, what are we going to do about this volcano? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Feels like ash. Oh, hey. Oh, wow. The air's on fire. I'm getting dusty. This is embarrassing. I think we're getting killed. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah. Malleus here. Yes, Julia? My toe is killing me. Will you take me to the doctor quick? Fine. I guess we need to. I learned my lesson with Vesuvius. And that was beneficial to Julia and Valius, who did learn an important lesson. Sadly, they died anyway, as the volcano was already erupting. But we can take our lesson from it. Make sure not to let pride and fear get in the way of us consulting experts like doctors when we need to. It's an important lesson that we learned on that day in history on WHRW Binghamton. But don't cry yet. My name's Roy Singer and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And what you didn't realize yet is that shortly after these events took place, it was discovered how to reanimate the dead. Yes, it's true, through a combination of ancient Roman magic and the most up-to-date scientific principles possible at the time, a treatment was discovered that was able to bring the dead back to life. As a result, the young lady who died in the tract was soon alive once more. When asked about the events of her death, she said she didn't want to dwell on them, but she did say thank you to the doctors who had been treating her before she died. She made her way back to her home She had to dig out somewhat because of an outpouring of this and that that had piled up after her death. But once she got inside, she took a long, hard look at her life and said, I can never be too careful. I have a second chance at life. I have to grab this new life by the horns and learn from the mistakes of the past. From now on, whenever I am feeling the slightest bit ill, I will go see a doctor. I will not be too proud to consult an expert. But at the same time, I'll know that life is precious and shorter than you think, so I will do important things like keep my will updated as well. That way, hopefully, I won't die again anytime soon. But if I do, everyone will know what I want done with all of my belongings and etc etc my name is Roy Singer and this is where are they now in history on cast and wax interesting interesting stuff uh you know not sure a volcanologist really could have done that much when the the mountain was about to you know go off no but it's the principle of the thing you know it's just some people are just too proud to go to a doctor or to consult you know their physician or consult a psychiatrist before they start taking psychotic drugs anti-psychotic drugs well yes perhaps or or you know or a volcanologist if if you're having a problem with a volcano or a possible volcano best person to talk to volcanologist sensible sensible all right well that's good uh, now, Frank, uh, it's time for your section of the show. My understanding is you did a big special report for us. Oh, um, no, actually, no, I didn't. What? No, you, I mean, you did. No, no, I, I've got, I don't have anything this week, so I don't have anything to play. Well, you did. I mean, again, you already uploaded the file to my computer. It was a joke. It's not, it wasn't a joke. It's a long file. I mean, I'm looking at it. It's like, you know, 15 minutes long or something. No, it was a really long, it's just, it's me going, gotcha, really slow. So you don't have to bother. I feel bad I even did it. Why are you lying about this? I'm not lying about this. Why would I lie about this? This is ridiculous. I it, I didn't do one. I'm sorry. I'll try to do one for next week. Next week, we've got a scapey story. Then I'll do one for, like, in the future. It doesn't matter. My point is, I, do, I didn't do one. I'm sorry I didn't do one. There's a long file. It's 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 a lie. It's not the real thing. I don't believe you. Well, you should. Well, uh, t- I maybe I should. Let's find out by hitting play. No, don't hit play. I'm just going to do it. Here we go. Here we go. Frank Allen. Frank Allen Investigation, starring Frank Allen. 
Hello and welcome to a special Frank Allen investigation where we go in-depth trying to uncover once and for all the murder of Alan Thomas in Binghamton, New York in February 2007. It's fairly well known uh, to listeners of the show that the murder was committed by Lynn Nelson, obviously. But some people feel we need evidence, so we're doing our best to gather some on this show. We've got a lot of evidence to get through, so let's get right to it. My first interview was with the French teacher who had both Lynn Nelson and Alan Thomas in her class at the exact same time. Madame Boré. Madame, you were the teacher of both Lynn Nelson and Alan Thomas, correct? First of all, I would like to say thank you for inviting me onto your um, little radio program. I would like to uh, let you know that there is a French phrase of the day, and I would like to share that with you, please, if I may. Uh, sure, yeah. Thank you so much. C'est ta copine, carotte. Répète. C'est ta copine. C'est ta copine. Carotte. Carotte. Now the whole thing, c'est ta copine. Carote. C'est ta copine carote. Is that, is that relevant to the murder? No, not at all. It means, did your girlfriend just fetch? <laughs> it is important to learn these things. Right. So the murder... Murder. ...of Alan Thomas. Alan Thomas, yes. He was a student of yours. Oui. Oh, that means, yes, Alain. It, he, that was his French name, Alain. Do people have different names in France? Yes, yes. His name was Alain Thomas. All right. So Alain Thomas was murdered by Lynn Nelson. Peut-être. Uh, is that her French name? No, no, that means perhaps. Well, okay, can you shed any light on their relationship? Did they know each other in class? Things like that? The two of them were top of the class. They both sat in the very front row next to each other. So these stories that she says she doesn't know who he is, they are untrue because they are always in competition. They both raise their hands and they both have the answer immediately. Now, okay, so she's obviously proven as a liar now. And my understanding is they both had an assignment to translate the exact same uh, uh, thing. Well, they both picked the same thing to translate, I should say. No, you are incorrect. It was not a translation assignment because then if they had identical work, it would be understandable. Okay, then what was the assignment? I, I guess I was confused. Everybody had to write an essay about their hopes and dreams. And they both hoped and dreamed the exact same thing? The exact same. Well, that, okay, so that's pretty obviously someone copied, right? Can you tell us what those hopes and dreams were? To perform as a prima ballerina in the New York City Ballet. It's a bit late in their lives for either of them, right? So it is not for me to poop on the dreams of these people. But Alan was, was thrown out of the class for plagiarism. So how was it proven that he copied? Yes, I, I do not believe that he copied her or, or she copied him. However, it was one of my TAs that brought this to my attention. And I said no. It is unlikely that it was cheating, and she brought it to the dean's attention. And so it was determined by the dean that Alan Thomas copied his writing assignment from Lynn Nelson. But let me ask you this. Is it possible that he, being a good student, you said you didn't think he copied, that he really did want to be a prima ballerina, and that she copied him to make it look like he copied her? C'est possible. Uh, what does that mean? It means it is within the realm of possibility. However, he had very long and beautiful legs and a very strong upper body, and she is short, and so I think that he actually had a better chance of becoming a prima ballerina, or as they call the male equivalent, the prime ballerina. And now we will bring our second phrase of the day. Qui c'est qui a pété? Répétez. Qui c'est qui a pété? 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 
Paytech. That means who farted, and I would like to know the answer because it smells in here something terrible. From there, feeling confident that my hunch about Lynn framing Alan Thomas for plagiarism was paying off, I decided to go on to the criminal investigation. I interviewed with Binghamton Police Crime Scene Investigator Lieutenant Dick Miami. Lieutenant Miami, I understand you were the first on the scene from the CSI unit on Alan Thomas's murder. I was. I was the first to arrive, and um, I immediately cordoned off the entire area using the tape I carry on my person for such an event. And it, it was a horrific scene, let, let me tell you. Yeah, please do tell me. What, what state was Alan Thomas in when you arrived? Well, he had tumbled down quite a long set of stairs. I mean, if I had tried to climb from the bottom all the way to the top, I would be out of breathless and sweating like a $2 whore. Uh, so you can imagine the effect that something like that would have on the body of a soft human being. Um, I can imagine there were some bone uh, breakage and, and, and there were bones protruding from the body. And there was a splatter of blood that was quite breathtaking. It was, it was, it was like a, that, that artist who does the splats of Paint? What's that guy? You know the guy who does the splats of paint? Jackson Pollock. Jackson, it, it was like a Jackson Pollock, except only with blood. Totally Dexter. It was, it was beautiful. I took my camera. I took so many pictures. I've got one on my phone here if you'd like to see. There, see that? That's brains right there. That's brains. Okay, yeah. No, that's gross. Yeah, that, that, I can zoom in and you can see what he's thinking. He's thinking, oh my goodness, I got pushed down the stairs. And that, that's when we knew that this was going to be a murder investigation and not a suicide. No, that's interesting. So you can actually see someone's thoughts in their brain. Well, and not a rookie, but I have worked uh, on the Binghamton Police Department and Criminal Investigation Unit for, for, for almost an entire year. So I can tell that this was not a suicide. This was murder with a capital M. So, okay, so now what... You said he was thinking I was pushed down the stairs. Was he thinking I was pushed down the stairs by a woman? Oh, yes, because the, the, the body was, was becoming rigid. And as you know, a rigid male body is is the direct result of the presence of a female, unless he was one of those types. But that's besides the point. It was a woman that pushed him. Oh, yeah, I know. I imagine it was a woman because, I mean, just because you want to be a ballerina... Doesn't what, mean. What, what is this about a, a ballerina? What? No, it's that he wanted to. I, my understanding, he maybe wanted to be, but it doesn't. I'm saying it. He could have. It, you could be a, a heterosexual ballerina. No, no, that's 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 impossible. I read in a textbook once that 99.999 percent of of male dancers of any kind, Broadway or any kind, are. Uh, homosexuals, if he was a dancer, then he may not have been pushed by a woman. But he probably was, because like you just said, that means that as long as there are 10,000 dancers in the world, then he could be one who is not homosexual. I suppose that's, uh, that's a possibility. He was quite rigid, but that could have been from a male. No, uh, no, I'm sure it was from a woman. There's plus there's probably other evidence that there was a woman, right? I mean, I would imagine in the crime scene. There there was the distinct odor of femininity on his person, and I assumed it was because he had been making out with a girl 
and she was wearing perfume, and it, it rubbed off on him. However, if, if this new information about him being a ballerina is true, he could very well have been wearing that stuff on his own because he might be a pofta. No, there's, this ballerina thing is hearsay. Totally ignore it. He, there must have been a woman. Like you just said, if there was perfume, then there, there was a woman. Or he was a pofta. But if you, you didn't know about the ballerina thing, and I said it, but I, I, what do I know? I don't know anything. Pretend I wasn't even here. Oh, I'm a big fan of yours, and I take your word as law. So, if he's a pofta, then he was not pushed by a woman, and it may well have been suicide. Suicide? Wait, what? How was it? Why would it be suicide? We were working under the assumption that a woman had pushed him down the stairs because of the overwhelming rigidity on his person and the smell of femininity. However, if those are the result of his potality, uh, it's a technical term, by the way, then, then it's perfectly possible that he simply killed himself. Now, that's quite understandable, because you know those people go through a lot. I understand they're not even allowed to get married in New York State. Well, that's very understanding of you and sensitive. But I'm, I'm, I don't think he was gay, so you don't have to worry about that. He was probably killed by a woman. I have a woman in mind, so pretty likely. You know, let me let me show you this picture again of his brains. And if we pan down, you see he's wearing the Madonna World Tour shirt. Now, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but Madonna World Tour, only gay men like Madonna. No, Madonna's a very attractive woman. I like Madonna because I want to have sex with Madonna. No one wants to have sex with her anymore. She's old. Her boobs will take your eyes out. Come on, man. He's obviously as gay as a wooden nickel. Wooden nickels? No. I Look, it's, even if he could be bisexual, look, doesn't matter. All that matters is, I think there's overwhelming support for this woman. I don't believe in bisexuality. I think that's something made up by the liberal media. Well, I did not see any evidence that he was truly homosexual. So, I take that as meaning there was clearly a woman that pushed him down the stairs. A woman, presumably, named Lynn Nelson. When I previously talked to Lynn Nelson, I uncovered that they actually lived in dorm rooms in the same building, one above the other. I was able to track down the records of both of their roommates and talk to them about the situation. I spoke with Alan's roommate, Robert Scott, first. Now, you were Alan's roommate in Digman Hall, correct? I was. I was his roommate first year, second year, third year, and fourth year. Uh, you guys were stuck together the whole time. I wouldn't call it stuck together. We were a match made in heaven. Now, what do you... What what do you mean by that? Oh, well, we were on the VPA floor. That means visual and performing arts. And it's a mixture of people who aren't really understood by the outside world. Well, he and I just got on each other like, oh, like brown on shit. So you were, you, were, you were friends, is what you mean? We were very, very close. Well, I'm trying to uncover uh, who killed him. So I'm sorry that your friend died, first of all. But, what, do you, uh, what do you mean he's dead? What are you talking about? He's dead? Wait, when did no, this Scott, happen? Uh, uh, Alan Thomas. Alan Thomas is dead? He died in 2007. I'm blind. I just saw him a month ago. No, that's I. That's not possible. Alan Thomas, blonde, 6'4", big manly hands, blue eyes, tight ass. Him? Well, I didn't. I didn't check his. His ass. You should have. It, it's it's remarkable. He's dead? He died in February 2007. That was a few years ago. Oh. Now, so you and he lived together then for some amount of time. We did. I lived in Digman Hall for seven years. I was on the long-term plan, and he was my roommate for four of those years. Three and a half. Three and a half. 
luckiest three and a half years of, of my life. Oh, he was so beautiful. Uh, now, you guys lived, was it above or below? I, I don't remember. Lynn Nelson, correct? Did you, did you know Lynn Nelson? Was she the one sort of squat and round like a cantaloupe? No, she wasn't anything like that. Uh, describe her to me, then. She, had, she was short, but she had, you know, she had red hair. She was a, she was a French major, just like Alan was. They, they were in the class. She got him uh, uh, kicked out for plagiarism. Oh, she's the bitch that copied his ballerina paper. Yeah. So he was wanting to be a ballerina. It was the dream he held closest to his heart. That's good to know. So you know who she is then? The one who got him kicked out? Yes, yes, I do. I remember her perfectly. I remember her as if she was standing right here in front of me. How would you describe their relationship to one another? They were at each other's throats. It was despicable. Because she was never quite as good as he was at anything, really. So if I were to say to you, hypothetically, that she murdered him, what would you say to that? Oh, I'd throw up right in your lap right now. The idea is just too much to believe. I couldn't believe it. No, no. She seemed so, so sweet, even though they didn't get along. I just can't imagine. Are you sure? I don't, I don't believe it. No, no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm going to need a bucket. I'm going to need a bucket. I'm going to throw up. No, don't throw up. Don't throw up. But maybe what if she was really mad? Really mad? I'm not someone who ever took school all that seriously. So it's hard for me to understand somebody getting so mad about a paper that they'd kill someone. And besides... He was the one that got kicked out of school. If anyone was going to kill somebody, he should have killed her. It seemed clear to me that Mr. Scotts was covering for Lynn, possibly because he was secretly in love with her. So I decided to talk to her roommate as well, a Miss June Walken. Um, I understand you were Lynn Nelson's roommate at the time of Alan Thomas's death. Yes, totally, I was. So what can you tell me about his death? Uh, how did she react to it? Oh, she wasn't too sad at all. She was kind of she was happy he died. Well, you know, they didn't get along so well. Something about French. It's a, it's a language. So you think that she killed him? Well, I would never say that. No. I mean, come on. I had to be the one to kill the spider. That one time there was a spider above her bed. She screamed like crazy. And I had to get up there and kill the spider. No, but he's not a spider. No, that's what I'm saying. You can't kill a spider. You certainly can't kill a man. Well, spiders are grosser than men. Honey, you haven't seen the sort of men I've seen. Okay. No, that's true. I guess there are men who are gross. But... What I'm saying is, she might have been afraid of a spider in a way that she wasn't of a person. If she hated him enough, as you said, maybe she threw him down the stairs. No, I, I don't think so, though. There was that one time they had that altercation. Oh, please tell us about this. Well, he kept... Let me rewind. You know how... In college, everybody has those dry erase boards on their door. Right, right, yes. Well, we had a dry erase board on our door, and he used to keep writing stuff on it. Of course, it was all in French, so I didn't know what it said, but it always upset her. Like, what kind of stuff did he write? Oh, honey, I don't speak French, but all I know is there were lots of capital letters and lots of exclamation points, and it used to piss her off something crazy. And she would run upstairs, and, and she would write on his board something else. And then, oh, get this. One time, this was when it started to get ugly. One time, he used a permanent marker. <gasps> she tried to erase it. She was crying, but she couldn't do it. And all she could do was color the rest of it in with another permanent marker. And then it was the black erased board, and she could only write white out on it. 
It was not good. Let me ask you something very serious. Do you still have this board? Well, I don't know. I think it might still be on the door. Because those things, they're bolted on. You can't get those off. Armed with this information, I went back to Digman Hall to talk to Mr. Robert Scotts. Mr. Scotts, please show me which room was Lynn Nelson's. Okay, well, I'll point it out right there. There. See, I'm pointing with my finger. This one here with the big black board on front of it. Yep. Thank you very much, sir. It's the one right across from the men's restroom with the very high stalls. You know, the, the walls in between? They're very high. I don't see how that's... It's not really relevant, but it's very useful. Removing the erase board from the wall, I took it to Lieutenant Dick Miami to see if he could uncover the message that Alan Thomas had written on it in Permanent Marker. Lieutenant Miami, were you able to uncover the message? I was able to uncover the message. Okay, what does it say? I have absolutely no idea. It's in French, and I don't speak a word, except I think I know how to say fart in French. How? Um... Fortunately, I knew someone who did speak French, and I took the message back to Madame Bure. Madame Bure, can you translate the permanent marker writing on this dry erase board that we got from Lynn Nelson's door in Digman Hall? Oui. Will you please tell me what it says? Oh, this is... this is terrible. It says, uh, je vais me tuer et blâmer toi, which means I am going to kill myself and blame you. What? No, okay, that's not... I... that... she must have written that. Herself. I don't think that she wrote it herself, and I don't think that he wrote it. What? Because it's bad French, and they were such good students. Je vais me tuer et blâmer toi, je vais, je vais me tuer et te blâmer. This is terrible. I don't know if he wrote it or not. Well, I don't think he did. Someone might be trying to frame him for his own murder. Or maybe it was her. But she would have written it perfectly. Or maybe she wants you to think it's not her, so she's writing it badly, so that you'll think someone else wrote it to make you think it was him, but did it badly, and so it couldn't be her. You're making my bonnet hurt, and I don't have an answer for you. As always, I leave it to you, the listener, to draw your own conclusions. But, come on. Lynn killed him. Thank you for listening to Frank Allen Investigations. My name's Frank Allen. Frank, that's ridiculous. Not to mention, you coincidentally do the same exact thing she wrote in about. I've been, have, I was investigating it for a while. You know, it's something that's been on my mind, trying to get all the evidence in place. It took a while. Well, now you might be in trouble because now she has some sort of dirt on you. I don't know what it could be. I, I can't figure it out. I'm always above board. Well, you, apparently you'll find out. I mean, wh- you know, what are you doing? You, what? She, she's a nice person. She used to be your friend. Well, if she killed somebody, I don't really want her to be my friend. She didn't kill anybody. She, d- did you hear my report? I, yes, I heard your report. It didn't prove anything. In fact, it seemed to prove she didn't kill anybody. I, that's not the way I heard it. I heard the French teacher said they were in competition and that he seemed like he had a better chance of being a ballerina than she did. That's motive to get him kicked out of the class. The CSI guy said a woman pushed him down the stairs. They have actual documented crime scene evidence that proves this. I, unless he's gay, which the guy seemed to be pretty convinced by. No, that's hearsay. Which the roommate seems to confirm. The roommate didn't say that. The roommate did not say that. First of all, he was clearly covering for Lynn. Second of all, he testified to the animosity between them. It's not testified. He just said it on your show. You're not a court of law. It's the court of public opinion. He testified before the court of public opinion that they had animosity between them. And then her roommate said, you know, more animosity. And then we got the board and it said the thing it said, but clearly he didn't write it. She probably wrote it to take the trail off of herself. It seems pretty cut and dry. You know, that might not be enough to convict, but 
we're on the road. Frank, you're, you're stupid and you're wrong. I'm afraid I must concur, yes. Well, you can all concur yourselves because I'm ridding the world of a vicious criminal. And, you know, this is, you know, Rory, you should pay attention. This is just like your, your story there, your, your other world. Well, in the other world, she did it. In this world, she did it. It's what I'm saying. And you're, you're saying that I'm crazy, but I'm not. So, you know, in, the, in that world, you were not crazy. In this world, I think you're crazy, yes. Well, you're wrong. So, whatever. Well, hopefully you won't. Have your life ruined. Well, yeah, I hope not. <sighs> anyway, uh, Rory, you have another day in history for us, right? Yes, absolutely. This one is for actually today. All right. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin, and this is WHRW Binghamton with This Day in History. On August 31st, 1997, Diana, Princess of Wales, dies in a Paris hospital after suffering massive chest injuries in an early morning car accident. Let's listen. Seems my wife Diana's died. That's terrible. Let's look at her will. There's a more pressing question. Who inherits the title of Princess of Wales? Will it be William or Harry? Let's see if she left a a will to to, to tell us what, um, what, what, what she wants done after her her, uh, her death. Yes, I must know who the new Princess of Wales will be. I, Diana, being of sound mind and body, do say that all my Barbie dolls go to my brother. Signed, Diana. Oh no, and he was eaten by yetis. This is horribly out of date. Who gets the Barbie dolls? And more or less importantly, depending on whether you like Barbie dolls, who gets the kingdom and the money? Damn the it. king? You're right, but we don't have a king. Let the queen have it. I I'll have to assassinate her later. Damn it. Now I can never be a princess. Sadly, Diana's Barbie dolls are still unclaimed to this day in her room at her flat where she grew up. It's very, very depressing and all because she didn't update her will regularly. Make sure that you do that just in case you die in a car accident or any kind of accidental death. By the way, that's sad, but this is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't cry yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And what you don't realize yet is that shortly after these events took place, it was discovered how to reanimate the dead. Yes, it's true, through a combination of ancient Roman magic and the most up-to-date scientific principles possible at the time, a treatment was discovered that was able to bring the dead back to life. As a result, the young lady who died in the tract was soon alive once more. When asked about the events of her death, she said she didn't want to dwell on them, but she did say thank you to the doctors who had been treating her before she died. She made her way back to her home, She had to dig out somewhat because of an outpouring of this and that that had piled up after her death. But once she got inside, she took a long, hard look at her life and said, I can never be too careful. I have a second chance at life. I have to grab this new life by the horns and learn from the mistakes of the past. From now on, whenever I am feeling the slightest bit ill, I will go see a doctor. I will not be too proud to consult an expert. But at the same time, I'll know that life is precious and shorter than you think, so I will do important things like keep my will updated as well. That way, hopefully, I won't die again anytime soon. But if I do, everyone will know what I want done with all of my my belongings, and etc., etc. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. That was the same one. You said you did two separate ones, and that was the same one. No, it was different. They were both talking about different things. But it was the same. You played the same file. It was the same sounds. You said the same words. Yes, but I was talking about something different both times, so they were different. You know, the, f- the first time I did a follow-up about the woman who, who got the injury and then was killed by the volcano. This second one was about Princess Diana. It was nothing to do with that. But all of the words were the same words. Just, I, didn't, I didn't see how that's a problem. They were talking about different things. They had a different meaning they they were different to me whatever all right well let's let's get right to the last part of the show the ne- next thing we have is um an episode of decker and hayes uh it's called the torture never stops let's get right into it
Decker and Hayes, Season 3, Episode 5, The Torture Never Stops, by Daniel Schwartz. Dawn washed Parlor Town red, waking Stella Decker from a restful night. Freaking son. Stella had slept well the way she always did after a fight. The evening before, she'd gunned down a masked attacker who turned out to be Janet Steyer, an escaped mental patient out for revenge. Stella had accidentally killed the woman's husband in a gang fight during the bad old days when she'd been on the wrong side of the law. Unfortunately, Janet's death seemed to rule her out as the widow, a brutal crime boss willing to butcher her way to supremacy in a city where brutality was a way of life. That left Stella and her slowly waking partner, Macy Hayes, at a dead end. Ah! Ah! Morning, baby. Hey, sugar. How'd you sleep? My arm still hurts. Janet hit me hard. Felt a lot of good it did her. No kidding. Where does that leave us? Without much to do until glass comes around. I say we take advantage of that. What do you... Oh. Oh. I figure we've got some lost time to make up for. But your legs... I'm not asking you to touch my legs, baby. Stella, a woman died last night. I'm more concerned... About the live woman next to me. Are you sure you can even... That's a chance I'm willing to take. Get over here, you. My pleasure. (sighs) They passed the morning with pleasant desperation in each other's arms. Later that afternoon, the two private detectives arrived in their office, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Good afternoon, Miss Decker, Miss Hayes. An eventful night from what I've heard on the radio. You could say that. Any calls? Well, the mercantile called. They want to do an interview, but I told them you don't talk to the press. Good girl. Nice to know you listen once in a while. Miss Decker, I... I shot a woman six times in the chest last night for screwing around with me. That put me in a good mood. So I'm just going to fire you. Don't come in tomorrow. Miss Decker! Stella, you shouldn't. The last one we hired ended up dead. Let's not go two for two. Now clean up the office, Jane. Mayor Glass will be here at three. And if you want a good reference... He'd better like what he sees. So what have we got? Not a whole lot. I guess the Janet Steyer thing was a non-starter. And without her, we have no idea who the widow is. Some enemy of the mayor's a crime boss he screwed over too hard? Doesn't seem likely. A psycho killer? Glass doesn't bury his bodies that shallow. You got that feeling too, huh? No question. Back in the company, I knew guys like him. They smiled a lot and had great records, because if they screwed up, they didn't leave anyone alive to find out. He may just be a good guy. In parlor town? Mayor Glass to see you, ma'ams. Send him in, Jane. On detectives, good to see you're both all right. Yes, it is. Now if we could speak privately. Of course. Stan, could you wait outside? Yes, sir. All right. Now, what do we know? It's a short list, Mr. Mayor. Janet's death means she probably isn't the widow. What do you mean? Her attack is inconsistent with the widow's methods. She's been cold, distant, mysterious... Swinging at me with a machete? That's just clumsy. You're taking it better than I would, certainly. I've had worse. Speaking of the widow, have you gotten any mail today, Mr. Mayor? Well, I may have already won ten million dollars, but that's hardly relevant to the case. Mr. Mayor, please, this isn't a good time for jokes. We're no closer to solving this case than we were when you first- What she asked for? What? She's killed a cat and chopped up a hooker, but she hasn't made any actual demands? Mr. Mayor, is there something you haven't been telling us? Nothing at all. 
There are people who want things from me, political opponents, lobbyists I've been unwilling to take bribes from, but those aren't people who'd slaughter living creatures to make a point. I assumed it was some kind of criminal or maniac. That's why I hired you guys. From what I've heard, those are your specialties. Well, if the shoe fits... It's actually an excellent point, Mr. Mayor. Do you know anybody capable of this who'd have some reason to target you? Well, I've spoken out frequently against organized crime in the city. Maybe I trod on some mafioso's toes. <laughs> no offense, Mr. Mayor, but the crime bosses pay the police force better than you ever could. Some of your speeches are very moving, but... I understand. Sometimes I have delusions that I'm making a difference in this town. When I moved here to work for the Public Works Department, I found a city without order or peace, and I wanted to make it better. You weren't married then, were you, sir? Why, no. I met my wife a year after I came to Parlor Town. Must have been a rough year. Lonely. You could say that, yes. Being fresh out of graduate school in a strange city and all, and civic engineer isn't the sexiest career. Still, work wasn't your whole life. There must have come a time when you went out on the town looking for someone to be with, even for a little while. Um, I'm not sure I like the direction of this inquiry, Miss Decker. Tough. Did you do any dating? A little. And how about horse? Stella! Miss Decker, where are you going with this? The widows threatened your daughter, didn't she, Mr. Mayor? Yes, but my wife and I don't have a daughter. I don't remember her mentioning your wife, sir. How about whores, Mr. Mayor? I... I always took precautions. And I always pack heat, sir, but I'm still sitting in this chair. Can you remember the names of any of the girls? I... No. No, I don't. Oh my god, that poor woman. It's a little late for sympathy, Mr. Mayor. Anything you need. Forget prices or legal issues, just whatever it takes. Please, find her. We'll try our best, sir. Listen, you get back to running the city, and we'll do what we can. Yes. Ye yes, of course. Please, keep me informed. Stella, that was amazing. Not really. We just narrowed it down to every prostitute's daughter in the last few decades. But once we find the daughter, we may be able to find the widow. Then we'd better start looking. Head down and start up the truck. I'll follow you. Where are we going? To the one guy who has all the secrets. God didn't visit Parlor Town much. Most people figured that if he gave a damn about them, they wouldn't have ended up there. There's only so much hopelessness the human spirit can take, and Parlor Town's poor found themselves coming back to St. Veronica's on Poplar Street, South Tip's most humble and peaceful house of God. No street gang broke its meager stained-glass windows or stole its paltry collection box offerings. Folks said Jesus watched over the church, but the building's protector was a much younger man. My goodness, is, is that Stella Decker? Yes, it is, Father Bly. Sorry it's been so long. You came back. Frankly, after all that trouble with the spiders, I fear the worst. Well, I guess I don't go down that easy. The Lord keeps his own, Stella. Who's your friend? Father, this is Macy Hayes. We're... Partners. In business. Detecting crimes. <laughs> Relax, Macy. I christened Stella. Known her all her life. I could tell even then. You christen enough babies, you can tell the gay ones on sight. Thank you, Father. I just thought... That in a city full of prostitutes, junkies, and murderers, I'd get on your case for loving someone? The Pope should try Parlor Town sometime. It'd do him so good. Now, what can I do for you two? We need your help, Father. Can we talk in private? Of course. Come into my office. The detectives followed the priest into his messy private office. Father Kevin Bly had only left South Tip to attend seminary, and he loved the neighborhood and its people. Comfortable with experience in his collar and robes, he moved with a grace that belied his eighty years. 
Now, what can I do for you two? We're looking for answers about the widow. Oh, terrible business, that. Uh, but I'm not sure where I fit in helping you. You've taken confession for every whore in the tip. Can you remember back about 25 years? Yes, but well, the widow is a pretty recent development. Do you remember a prostitute becoming pregnant by the mayor? Glass? Visit a woman of the night? <laughs> oh, I didn't know he had it in him. You're a terrible liar, father. Oh, dear. Well, always a little too sharp, weren't you, Stella? I just know you too well. The girl's life is in danger, Father Bly. Please tell us. Oh, well, I, I suppose it would come out eventually. You see... Mama? Tasha. What's wrong, my daughter? Nothing's wrong. I got this for you, Mama. Tasha walked over to Stella wide-eyed and handed her a small, tissue-wrapped bundle. Stella opened it gingerly and made a face. Whose is this? Bob Coe's. He didn't need it anymore. Uh, Lord of Heaven, Tasha, what did you do? You didn't have to do this. But he hurt you. Nobody hurts my mama. How'd you get away from the police? I had to. The girls were going to kill me. They were so angry, the house getting raided and all. But it's okay, because we're together again, right? Now that I did this for you, we can be together. Right, Mama? Tasha, you know I care for you, but... You... you're not... You won't... My child, you you need help. You're goddamn right I need help. They locked me in a room for 20 years, Stella. They didn't feed me for days, didn't give me clothes, made me go to the bathroom in a bucket by the bed. Now I come back and every goddamn day I see you with that snotty old bitch. There hasn't been a day, not an hour, not a damn minute that's gone by when I don't wish I was dead. Now I finally do the right thing and you don't even want me anymore. Now I've got nothing left at all. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. When they were on me, when they were in me, I always knew we'd be together again. I knew it. It wasn't supposed to. You did this. You took her away from me. You'll get yours, bitch. You'll get yours. <laughs> you asked about the mayor's daughter. What? Oh, yeah. Can you help us? Well, you'd better run fast. You might still be able to catch her. The duo's closest ally becomes a vengeful enemy even as the Widow targets her for death. Can the detectives save Tasha from the Widow? And herself? The story continues in the next episode of Decker and Hayes, Less Than Kind. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, Robert Glass was Ryan Laranger, Stan was Justin Ha, Tasha was Guinevere Eckert, and Father Bly was Charles Berman. The theme song was by Michael, temporary card, Bukowski. Thank you very much, Rory. Thank you very much, Rory. Now we have to get towards the end of the showscape. You know what that means? It's time for a little quick one-off ditty. Oh, yes, no problem. I'm ready for that. Um, I'm very rested. I slept for a lot of a show. I noticed. Don't, don't think I didn't notice, because I noticed. Okay, let's get right to it.
Cause I don't like you I don't like you I think you're stuck 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 I don't like you I don't like you I think you're stuck 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 I think you're stuck Yeah Wow, Scape, that was a, a very unpleasant song. Well, sometimes you just in a mood, you know? You just want to be like, get away from me, jerk. I guess so. That's how I feel right now. That's how a lot of people feel when, when you're around, so that's understandable. Okay, thanks. Well, you are picking a fight with our friends, so. Well, you are you're friends with a murderer. Maybe I don't like, you know, people who are friends with murderers. Maybe you don't. Maybe not. All right, well, Scape, don't wait. Don't go back to sleep. Well, what? You got a letter. You got a letter. We're at the listener mail. So, time for listener mail. Um, Not really listener mail. But it's mail, so I'll, I'll address it here. Uh, but before I do, uh, castinwax at gmail.com. Send us listener mail. Send us some feedback. What did you think of that song that Scape said you stink? Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. What do you think of Frank's investigation? All of these things. Tell us about stuff. Tell us about stuff. Castinwax at gmail.com. All right, Scape. So here's the letter you got. It's from your school. Dear Scapey, attached, please find your grading sheet for your first assignment. Rolododododo. I look forward to your next assignment, which, to reiterate our class discussion, is a song to be written and composed after your favorite song, or, if you find it easier to choose, your favorite artist slash band, and is due by the end of September. Please get in touch if you have any questions. See you in class. Kindest regards. W.S. What is... Oh, uh, William Spike Chain, Ph.D., Department Chair, First Level Rock Studies, Professor, Introduction to Rockery, Rock Institute of Rock, London, U.K. Uh, and so there's a grading sheet here. Let's take a look at it. I'm a, a French are very good. Well, we'll find out. Here's what it says. Assignment 1, Freestyle Song, and as you know, you did Rolododototo. About a monster. No, it's a good song. Right. Mr. Scape White, grade sheet 8, 1909, Scapey. Congratulations on a remarkable first assignment for the Rock Institute of Rock. Rolododoto proved to be a dynamic song that displayed your talent for writing different musical sections that fit together as part of a story, and your Dadaist lyrics told a most original and somewhat metal tale of a fearsome, if sympathetic, creature. Dadaist lyrics. Do you, do you write Dadaist lyrics? Um... I must say, you really rocked out at the end there, and it was a pleasure to listen to. I would like to point out that very few students receive such a high mark in my class on their first assignment, and that you should be very proud of your grade of B+. Please do not forget to submit your lyrics to me for your RIR portfolio. W.S. Uh, well, a B plus. Uh, that's not great. No, he said that it's a high mark in the first assignment, so... Yeah, but it's a B plus. I thought I was raising an A rocker, but apparently I'm only raising a B rocker. B plus rocker, first of all. And second of all, our first assignment, Dad! Well, that's true, but, uh, I mean, what's the point of sending you to rock school if you're only gonna, like, rock medium? No, it's a rocked out Hard! I didn't say hard, but I did rock hard, so, Dad, rock. All the time, I got a, a thing about, hey, that's awesome, I want to rock with you, and I want to listen to your music. Yeah, but this time you got a B plus. That's okay, Dad. That's okay. That's good for first assignment. All right. If you have low expectations, I guess. Dad! Oh, uh, you know, I forgot something. Uh, you can tell I really was tired the night we did Roll Toto because I let you call it Scapey Rocks. What kind of a stupid name is that? That's a name that means I rock. Come on. Yes, but <laughs> I was so tired I forgot that what I that I had already planned out what we should call your your album. Dad, I don't like it. Well, I'm the boss. Uh, I I think we should call. I I meant to do this. Escape section where he does songs should be called pet sounds. 
So No, Dad, that's stupid. Well, I don't think that's stupid. It's pretty awesome, if you ask you're, me. You're wrong. All right. Well, okay, why don't we leave it to the listener, then? Listeners, do you guys think he should keep calling it Scapy Rocks, or do you think I should win, and we should call his section Pet Sounds? Right on into us, castingwax at gmail.com. I think... Obviously, Pet Sounds is far superior. But that doesn't rock. No, it's but it's a Beach Boys album. One of the best albums. Well, their best album, for sure. But one of the best albums ever, maybe. I don't care, Bob. All right, whatever. Let's move on. So that's about it. Uh, you guys all set? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm all set. All right, well, then we'll be back next week. Um, yeah. Be seeing you. episode of Cast and Wax. On Epic Echoes, two members of the Flashback go on a very difficult quest. Do you know how many kangaroos are in Australia? Given the year, I'd say approximately 7,923,004. Give or take. And there's only one blue one? Yes. Are you crazy or something? 
and on Tractor Fiction, a kidnapping does not go according to plan. Answer the phone, ma'am. Not one dime, darling. It's my money. Hello? Listen up. We've got your sister. I'm sorry, but Conrad and I simply can't get involved. We're leaving for Europe tomorrow. Ta-ta! Meanwhile, this day in history deals with scientific discoveries. I'll pull out my make-man-have-millions-of-dollars with flip of a switch machine. Looks just like a gun. And I guess there's gonna be a scapey story for some reason. But it's only fair. There's... I know... Yeah, I know how it... You don't have to... I know. It's all coming your way. September 7th. And it'll all be up on the website. Waxwork.com. That's the website where the podcast... Oh, I know. That's... Yes. I know. I'm just making sure. 